Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Eli K25. We're thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, is it a, is it a holiday weekend if the holiday comes like the Tuesday after the weekend and you got to have Monday in between? Like, should I say, happy I'm still holiday? trying to, I'm still trying to catch up to how fast you just did that. Well, I didn't screw it up though. So, I, I mean, I know there's lots to talk about. We have a great guest coming up at the end of the show, but, but the fact is you're talking so fast. Like, I don't even know if anybody heard it. My brain's on overdrive this week. I can't handle all of, you know, life and the sports news that are going on around us. So well, good, well, good, well, good news. Good, good news for you is you have a holiday weekend to like kind of slow down. Well, that's unless why I was you, unless if, you're one of those people that has to work on the third. Well, I have to work every day. So that's why I was asking, like, is it a okay. holiday weekend or is it like the weekend and then the holiday? I just wasn't sure about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, before we get into what I think everybody wants to hear about, which is the lovely James Harden news of yesterday. I do have to say, you know, I was watching the Phillies game last night. We can talk about the Phillies now or we can talk about them later. But Ruben Amaro made a really good point. And, and, and as somebody who's going to the game tonight, I'm a little confused. The game starts at 6.05. Yes. I didn't realize it's a fireworks show afterwards. Is as fast as the games yet? are going now, will it be dark enough to have fireworks? Or do you just have to sit around twiddling your thumbs and buying more food until it gets dark? Genius either way. I was but actually... Why did they make... So, Why did they move this game up to 6.05? I don't know. And I was surprised by it because I was kind of looking at the schedule and I was like, hey, maybe I'll bring the boys down. It, it doesn't work for me to do it. But like, I love seeing I told you about this before. I love seeing a 6.05 start, a 6.40 start. It lets me have more time with the kids before they're ready to fall asleep or losing their stuff in the stadium. No, normally I'm totally good with 6.05, but why? It, not all their games are 6.05. So why did they move one that they're going to do fireworks where the games are going to be quicker? Are they hoping for extra innings? I, maybe they're just hoping to have you sit. I mean, it is Chris Sanchez stuff. pitching. So the chances are it's going to be a high scoring affair, but maybe they're just hoping to have you sit around and buy more stuff while you wait for the fireworks. I like think that's game. it. And considering I was there last week for the three hour rain delay, I'm not buying more stuff. I will starve myself or bring in little packages in my pockets. <laughs> You're going to be like dumping sugar in your mouth. That's a, no, no. What do you mean sugar? I'll, I'll bring in like healthy food. Oh, okay. All right. Well, look, I'll we'll bring get, in we'll like get, carrots. We'll get to hard in a sec since we started with baseball. Today is the mathematical midpoint of the season they'll play game 81 out of 162 they're 43 and 37 uh they've won 18 of 23 with nine in a row on the road for the first time since 1984 they're six games over 500 for comparison they were seven games under 500 on june 2nd and tied for last place now they've lost around are you talking about last year no this year on june 2nd oh okay so, like, they played very good baseball. They're 18 and 5 since June 2nd, the second best record in baseball. But <laughs> they've lost ground on the Braves, and right. the, the Marlins keep playing very good baseball. Um, so, they're, they're staying in the wild card hunt at this point. Through Thursday, they're, they're ranked 20th in the majors with 86 home runs. That's 62 fewer than the Braves, though. They've, they've had struggles with runners on base. But they're having excellent pitching right now. What is your sense of the Phillies? The weird thing is I know that the pitching, the the ERA of the starting staff is impressive. But Nola is not pitching well. Right now, Nola is the fourth best starter on he's, this team. He's got a four Wheeler he's got has four. not pick, pitched particularly well. Ranger and Taiwan have pitched amazing. 
and are basically keeping this team afloat with some opportunistic hitting. With the home runs, I don't worry about that. Bryce, Har People forget how soon Bryce Harper came back from his surgery. It is from what they're saying that his exit velocity is up now. It's just a question of getting into the groove of hitting home runs. I'm not worried about the home runs. I was more worried about somebody like Trey Turner, but I wasn't even worried about home runs. I was worried about what he's best at, which is getting on base and stealing. And now he's starting to do that. I think he's 16 of 16 stolen bases. So you're starting to see those things. What concerns me most was what we saw last night. I don't care that Kyle Schwarber hits a, a, a solo home run on the first pitch of a game, even if he does it 30 times this year. If he's going to play as poorly on defense as he played yesterday, I don't need a 183 hitter also playing in the outfield because what he did, I don't know about you. When I saw what Schwarber did in the outfield, this wasn't a typical Schwarber where he barely gets to a ball. No, I doesn't texted get you. To a ball. This was this was the man getting essentially under the ball and nonchalanting it. And all I kept thinking of is the days where Jamie Moyer would pitch. <laughs> and Jamie Moyer used to turn around and yell two hands to anybody, especially in the infield. Can you imagine if somebody like Jamie Moyer was pitching yesterday and saw that Schwarber just nonchalanted the ball and it just bounced out of his club like he was in Little League? I texted you right after it happened. It's it's bad enough having to watch him run after balls sometimes. And look, they never thought that he would be an everyday outfielder. And there's the potential right now that Bryce Harper could be ready to play first base mid and July. That means that they might be able to do something before the trade deadline where they could move Schwarber to DH. I think everybody would be better off if that works out. Separate from the defense, though, you know, we talk about the power. It's the amount of people they leave on base. They're 26 out of 30 teams. They leave 3.6 runners per game in scoring position, not just on base, in scoring position. They put guys on base all the time. They just don't drive them in all the time. No, so, and, and what's bizarre about it is is it's not the stars that are doing well. It's it's Stott. It's Castellanos. I know he gets paid a lot of money and might be considered a star in past years, but after last year, I expected nothing from him this year, let alone that he probably is going to be an all-star representative for the Phillies. Bohm has done well, but they're not doing it when it counts most, but they're doing it enough that they're able to, to stay afloat and actually do better than staying afloat now. Now the question is whether they can get that fifth starter, because I don't think Sanchez is the long-term answer. I, you can't count on Painter to come back here until the end of the season, and even if he does, I wouldn't put him in a starter position. So you need to get that, and you need to get Schwarber out of the field. You just do. I, I don't care if he hits 40 home runs this year. If they're all going to be solo home runs at the beginning of a game, yeah, it gets us off to a wonderful start. But if you're going to do that in the outfield, and by the way, it wasn't just him yesterday. Marsh dropped one too. Yeah, and Marsh is supposed to be your good defensive option out there. So, yeah, it's concerning. You know, you, you're getting good pitching performances. Who would have thought that you got Craig, Craig, uh, Craig Kimbrell 12 for 12 on save opportunities, who's your closer now? I mean, just, yes, but how but how nice would it be if every once in a while you didn't have to use a closer 
that you could actually be ahead by five or six runs going into a last inning. You're allowed the to problem that. is they're, they're razor thin with the margin of error that they have right now. I just wanted to ask you a question before we move off of baseball. Um, I know you're watching Shohei Otani. I've never seen anything like this and what he does on both sides. Nobody has. Is he going to be the first person to make over $500 million when he hits the free agent market next year? I don't know because the question is, is how long can you keep doing this? Not how long can he be excellent? How long can he stay healthy? We have no measure of how this can work. And so you're already starting to, you're, you're starting to hear questions that even though I think he's still leading the majors in batting average against while being the leader in home runs and RBIs and OPS as a hitter, how long can he do this? They're saying that his velocity is down a tick. They're saying that he's not using one of his pitches that he has used in past years. The question is, is he managing something that we don't know yet? And how long can you sign him for if, if you know that his arm could go away and he can still hit, then he's still worth all of that money. He's one of the best hitters of his generation. He leads baseball with 28 home runs, 64 RBIs. I mean, separate from the pitching, he's, he's dominant. It just, I, I've never in my lifetime, I haven't seen a player like this and it, you know, he's going to hit the open market next year and you don't generally. All you, all you need to know about Shohei Otani is he outshining Mike Trout. Yeah. Nobody talks about Mike Trout anymore. Well, you know who people are talking about? James Harden. James Harden. James Harden. Boy, what a segue. James Harden opting into his one-year $35 million deal uh, in order to potentially get traded out of Philadelphia. Lots of rumors. Jeff, I know you love this time of year where everybody and their sister comes up with a trade machine formulation of who will be here, who will go. The biggest names you seem to hear right now are the Clippers, the Heat, the Knicks. Seems like the Clippers is where he wants to be, and the Clippers kind of want him. Um, okay, can, can, can we, you want to start with the negotiation part of this or you want to start with that? Uh, let's go first with the negotiation part. All right. Well, don't forget the, the LA part because I got comments on that. Okay. Okay. James Harden might be the worst negotiator in professional sports that we've seen in a long time. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm very thankful that he is, by the way, because <laughs> last year, he, this is a guy who leverages his way out of city after city by putting on a fat suit, essentially, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what he did in Houston. That's what he kind of did in, in, in Brooklyn. I almost said New Jersey, by the way. <laughs> and and so, so he comes here with his buddy, Daryl Morey, and, and negotiates last year for a shorter deal so that he can have the right to opt out so he can get a long-term deal this year. He then floats during the entire end of the season and during the playoffs, this whole Houston Rockets thing where Houston's in a rebuild, but somehow is going to want the guy who, who forced his way out by going to clubs and, and being in a fat suit. And, and, and now Houston doesn't want him. Apparently nobody wants him at the amounts that he wants. And by the way, he also killed himself by saying he wanted basketball freedom because now everybody knows 
he wants to play the James Harden way, not the way that he played best last season. He wants to sit there and chuck up shot after shot. He wants to drive. He wants to fall. He wants to do all the things that James Harden led the league in scoring years ago that he won't be able to do it now. And so he's negotiated all of this to the point that the day before free agency, he opts in to a one-year Loctite contract. He can't negotiate with anybody where he goes. He has to wait until free agency. <laughs> You're saying it didn't Ex work out well. <laughs> explain to me what, where, you know, and, and, and by the way, I have heard from people that, that have talked to him and know him that he thinks he's the smartest person in the room. You disagree. I can assure you, I don't know what rooms he's hanging out in. He is not the smartest person in the room if this is where he ended up on this day. As somebody who is very concerned about a three- or a four-year commitment to James Harden, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I, the worst-case scenario here is he walks in a year and you get the cap space. You have Tobias's contract out and Harden's contract out. I get it. It's pause here, whatever. Joel Embiid's getting older. I come from the premise that they're not winning with James Harden in the long term. So I don't want to commit to him. It's just where I am. Now, you do or don't like the idea of him going to the Clippers. It's not a question of whether I like, I could care less where he goes. I don't see how this works. He wants to go home to LA. Bye-bye. Go home to LA as long as we get something for it. The question is now whether Daryl Morey can earn his salary. Daryl Morey put us into this position. And now the question is, is he going to get us out where we get something of real value that keeps the Sixers on a path of getting past the second round? That will be the measure of this trade. Does he think that he needs to do this before six o'clock today? Or does he remain patient? And can he do a multi-team trade? I don't know if Lillard wants to come here. He didn't seem to. I mean, Lillard put out some tweets that weren't exactly complimentary towards Embiid and Harden at the end of the season. So everybody keeps saying, let's go get Lillard. Lillard's got to want to come here. I don't and know. I don't know if he does. I don't know who ends up where. This whole time of year, the speculation, the rumors, the leaks, the this, the that. You laughed the other day. You, you I sent you as soon as Tobias Harris compared himself to a cookie. I sent it to you and you're like, Oh, you fell for the clickbait again. By the way, everybody fell for the clickbait. <laughs> I was not the only one who fell for it, but um, I fall for everything. So I see all these rumors. I'm like, Oh, this is going to happen. It's like, Nope, that's not real. That's not real. And now that they took away the check marks. I don't even know who to believe on Twitter. So mm -hmm. like, this is the worst time because <laughs> you're seeing. All wait, these... wait, wait, did, did Rand have a check mark during his, when he had his fake account? <laughs> did the check marks ever really matter? I don't know if burners get check marks, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you're potentially going to see a bunch more movement in the NBA. I just don't know where anybody ends up. You know, I, what I don't want to have. Yeah, but is, the only thing we care about is who ends up here. And right? I, I just don't want Kyrie Irving here. That's really all that I want. No, it, it, it is amazing how short our, our attention up. spans are for certain things. Like like people keep sitting there and going, oh, wouldn't Kyrie be great here? Yeah, no. Kyrie actually wanted to play basketball, didn't, didn't flake out all the time. And by the way, didn't start tweeting anti-Semitic stuff. Like people are, keep forgetting that was just last year. This wasn't a long time ago. It I don't, and I don't know how they could uh, look. I'm not going to sit here 
I hate when people come on and start speculating about every potential trade that you could possibly have. I don't know the salary cap implications. I certainly don't understand what's happened, what's about to happen where they're going to have these different tiers that's going to mess everything up. So I got to hope that Daryl Morey and his team are going to do the right thing and they're going to make the best trade possible. Like uh, it, this trade will define potentially define the Sixers for the rest of this decade. Do you have faith that they will? Because for our listeners, you got to remember, Jeff and I did not want this trade per se. I wanted the the trade for Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. You the, you were in on that, Jeff. There were other things you wanted. So no, I I actually had had, had thought about the the one that had from floated. Not that it ever was offered was was the Kaminga and Pool, but. Jordan Poole doesn't exactly look like a great deal right now either. So you, you, you don't know what would have been the best deal. He did get rid of Ben Simmons. Kudos to that. Do you have, he got faith? Harden and there were ton, look James Harden this year, averaged close to 21 points and over 10 assists per game. Okay, let me that those are, those are very good numbers in a vacuum. And so you're going to have to find a way to replace those. And the question is, is is there a couple complementary pieces? Do we believe that Tobias Harris can be the the assassin that his father thinks he, he can be? <laughs> <laughs> and, and whether or not Tyrese Maxey has the next level that everybody is hoping that he has. So, so you think it's more important? And I'm, I kind of come from from this standpoint, given team depth, that they find complementary pieces that work for this team. Because then next year you'll, if you want to go sign a superstar next year to pair with that, you'll have depth and the stars. But if you go for some, you know, expensive, overpaid guy who isn't a star but is paid like it, which is how we got in the Tobias situation, where Tobias is a very good basketball player, but he's being paid to be something that he's not in the role of on this team. Look, the the NBA is now going to eliminating the big threes that are happening. It's going to be harder and harder to get those big threes. And if you look at this year's champion, how was it done? It was done the old fashioned way with the nuggets getting a big center who could play inside and out, who could pass. Well, we have a more athletic version of Jokic in Philadelphia. And what you need to do is you need to put very good pieces around him. Jamal Murray has become a star. He wasn't before this year. Maxi could be Jamal Murray. And then you have, if you, Tobias Harris could be uh, Aaron. So there are potential to have a very similar type of team if you can get a couple more very good pieces. I don't just want role players, I want very good pieces, but you're not going to get stars. If anybody thinks Paul George is going to be in a trade from the Clippers, I don't see how that happens. And by the way, I think Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George have played like 41% of their games over the last few years. So I want somebody who's going to also be there, be durable. Yeah, people fall in love with the big names. Oh, we can trade for so-and-so. Well, that person wasn't on the court at all last year. Oh. Well, look, I, w I would love to have Dame Lillard here, but what are you going to have to give up to get him? That's the, it, you have to build a team. If you just get a couple stars, we've seen them try to do that and not have the depth around them to compete and go through it. The Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They, they, they can get to a level, but they need to have the pieces around them. 
And that's what the Sixers need. And and by the way, we're also going to have to make sure that our star is durable. Joel, Nick Nurse has got to convince Joel Embiid to play a different brand of basketball and, and tell him you can be even greater than you were as an MVP this season. You don't have to dive all over the court, risking the long-term health of your back and your knees. He's big enough that he can just push people around. And the question is whether you can con- convince him to play like Akeem Olajuwon. Well, let's see what happens when it opens in under two hours. We'll see what the team looks like next week. Why don't we hit the break? When we come back, we'll talk some soccer with JP Della Camera and then have more to talk after that. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. We love getting some time with our man, JP Telecamera, who's heading to Australia as we are weeks away to to start Fox's lead play-by-play commentator for the third straight Women's World Cup. JP, so great to have you back on the show. Uh, Thanks, guys, for having me. It it sounds like I'm going to see more of New Zealand, actually, than Australia, because that's where the U.S. is going to be based during the group stage and I'll have their games. I was going to ask, what is the, what's this time like now before you go over there, the preparation, both for the Fox team, for yourself, and then we'll get into the women's team and what's going to go on there. Prep is different. It's, it's harder because there are so many other events that we're doing. It's not like you have a, a month off and then you start the women's world cup. Like yesterday I had a, a European qualifying game. On the weekend, I had an NWSL game. Also on that weekend, another Euro game, and I start Gold Cup games this coming Sunday. So you can't devote all of your time to the Women's World Cup, but but knowing ahead of time what I was dealing with, there was a lot of um, basic prep work that I did for the Women's World Cup, and now you get the rosters as the USA's roster just dropped today. Um, so then, then you can be more specific on it, but prep is always, I think it's always difficult, but it's more difficult if you've not done a world cup before. Unfortunately, I've done quite a few of them. So I'd like to think I know how to at least prep for it. So let's talk about the, the women's world cup roster for a minute. Uh, as part of, of the dropping of this roster, Alex Morgan is, is on this team again. She appears to be the only real striker on this team. Is, is, uh, is Alex Morgan, is, is this going to be a problem or, or is this team well-balanced and where do you see the, the next person up if Alex Morgan isn't able to perform or gets hurt? Well, I would say this to you guys. Normally, I, I have an unofficial roster that I think has made it. And usually on a 23-player roster, I'll get, I'll get 21 right, 22. There's always going to be a surprise, right? And I would say to you, the biggest surprise when I look at this roster is that Ashley Hatch didn't make it because Ashley Hatch is not Alex Morgan, but I think she's the closest player that's among the forwards to Alex Morgan. So if you wanted to replace Alex Morgan with a, let's say, similar type player, she's the one. 
you look at the other players, Sophia Smith is the starter, first of all. Lynn Williams is not Alex Morgan in terms of the way she plays. Lynn offers so many other different things. Trinity Rodman, amazing talent. Uh, Thompson, amazing talent. Rapino, the veteran experience, but none of them play like an Alex Morgan. So to me, the biggest surprise that I had was I thought Hatch was a lock just based on the fact that you need someone, I'm going to say fairly similar to Morgan because nobody's really, Alex Morgan is a special player. So it's hard to think about who do you have as a backup for her. So I would say that the Hatch uh, omission was the biggest one for me of the misses of the additions. I'm surprised, but pleasantly surprised that Savannah DeMello made it. Uh, I had been told that she was not going to make it a while ago, but I think that it's possible, and, and I'm not sure if they will address this. I don't know if Lavelle's situation changed that decision to go for maybe an extra midfielder. You know, they've got Julie Ertz there. Is Julie Ertz going to play in that midfield position, or do they have Ertz in mind as maybe, you know, a center back too? I mean, these are these are tough decisions, but DeMello's had a – an amazing year in the NWSL. I knew she'd be on this team at some point. I just didn't think it would be at this World Cup. So biggest surprise for me is that Hatch was not on it. The rest of it, uh, assuming these players were healthy, I had most of them. Like, Lavelle hasn't played in a game in, I think it's like a dozen games. So the fact that she's on it is telling me that they must have medical information that indicates she's either able to play and they've kept her out for precautionary reasons or that maybe she's not able to play right away, but they have confidence that she can play. And Kelly O'Hara, for me, if she was declared healthy, she was always going to be on this team. You know, Alex Morgan is rounding into form as far as scoring goals. She's had five in her last 10 games with her club team, and she had 16 out, out of the 19 games last year. Where is the, the next person up as far as where we can expect the most goal scoring? On this team, I think Sophia Smith. I think this is going to be uh, – it's not a make-or-break tournament for Sophia because she's so young, she'll probably play in three or four Women's World Cups, but I think – the stage is set for her, as I think it would have been for Kat Macario if she was not injured, to become the new face of this team. And I think Sophia Smith is an amazing talent. She's getting better and better. And I would think that if you're looking for goals in this tournament, you've got to look to Morgan as number one. Uh, and maybe 1A would be Sophia Smith. So much has changed in the last four years, a coaching changeover, a pandemic. They had a bronze when they had higher expectations, retirements from players. At the same time, you're seeing, you mentioned Alyssa Thompson, she'll be the youngest player on the roster at 18. She's the fourth teenager and second youngest player ever to be named to a U.S. roster. Talk about, you know, for fans who have watched over the past decade and kind of got to know that group of women this seems to be a very different team in terms of age and how they break it down. Can you talk about the changes that this has gone through? Yeah, I think when you look at it, I looked and I figured the average age, you know, would have dropped quite a bit, you know, especially with Sauerbrunn not being able to play. Uh, but it really didn't. You know, you look at it, the age of the team in 2019 is 
is pretty close to what this is now. And the number of players that are over 30, it's, it's not that much different. So you still have the veterans there with the young players. To me, the excitement though is about the young players because I think that besides Sophia Smith, I think Trinity Rodman is a terrific young talent. Best is yet to come. I think Alyssa Thompson is fantastic. I've done a few of her games this year. Uh, I think Naomi Gurma could become uh, one of the best, if not the best center backs in the entire world. And she's young. She's like 23. So there's a lot of good young talent on this team. Uh, it's just like, who's going to be the next, whoever you want to say, the next Sauerbrunn, the next Julie Ertz, the next Alex Morgan. Uh, we have different types of players for those roles. Again, you know, Morgan plays different, maybe now because she's in her mid thirties. Alex plays a little bit different than these younger players that we're talking about. But when I look at this roster, if, if you're looking at who's going to be coming into games, it depends on the situation, right? If you need to, close out a game and you're up or you're down by a goal, you know, you've got Megan Rapino that, that certainly knows how to play the game, how to protect the lead, how to uh, help her team come from behind, good on free kicks, good on penalty kicks. So you've got Rapino, but if not, whoever you're bringing in, you know, in a world cup game is young and making their debuts, you know, other than, other than Lynn Williams, who, who's not in her early twenties, uh, but Lynn's also having a fantastic year. But, you know, you've got Trinity Rodman and Alyssa Thompson may have to play a bigger role in this tournament than we might have thought originally if Ashley Hatch had made the team. Is, so is that going to be a problem? We're used to such a cohesive group of players from the Women's World Cup for so long. Is it going? Yes, youth is a good thing. But the question is, is this young core that's that's being added to some of the older veterans going to be enough? Are they going to be able to come together enough to be able to pull this off? Well, I'm on record as picking them to win, but I've always picked them to win, which means that I was right the last two World Cups, but I was wrong in the previous ones where I thought they would win it as well. Um, I think our young players are, are fearless, and, and I don't think that Pressure bothers them. I think that's one of the beauties, one of the benefits of youth. Um, I think there's enough talent on this team, certainly, to still be the favorites. You know, remember, there are other teams in this tournament as well that are very strong, but also have a lot of injuries. England is, is one of those. I think England is, uh, you know, the next best team out there, but they've had several injured players, and who knows how, how their replacements will perform. But when I look at this team, if you want to be – objective and say, you know, where could there be problems? Let me just take a, a quick look at this. I would say, you know, you're starting two talented center backs at the Women's World Cup. One is 23, one is 26. Uh, I'll bet you could go back any number of World Cups and this would be the youngest center back pair that we've had um, maybe ever. I'd be surprised if we found a younger center back pairing. Very shocked especially since, you know, Sauerbrunn's been in there now for the last few World Cups. I think Becky Sauerbrunn's loss is huge. And I never expected her to play all seven games. I figured they would rest her, start her in some, maybe not start her in a couple of others to preserve her so she would be there in the final. But it's her, it's her leadership, the way she mentors others, uh, her steadiness, her consistency on the field, off the field, that is a huge loss. 
And I was a bit worried about Becky before because she played, I want to say the start of the year, she was in there. Then she missed five or six games with a foot injury, which is always tough when you consider, you know, late thirties. Then she came back for a game and appeared to re-injure the same foot. And so at that point, I'm thinking, you know, I don't even know if she's going to get back to the NWSL and play ahead of the World Cup. So I had some worries there, but I didn't know that she would not be on the team. When she made that announcement, you know, that was a sad, sad day, I think, for U.S. soccer. So I think how do those two center backs do will be key, especially since when you look at this roster, who's going to replace either one of them if they get hurt, if they get red carded, if they need a rest? Do they move Julie Ertz back there? Because otherwise, you've got Emily Sonnet, who can play a number of positions, but center back is probably not her best position. You've got O'Hara. She's an outside back. You've got Huerta. You know, she's an outside back. Do you go with three in the back instead? I mean, these are these are decisions that Vladko Andonovsky is getting paid for. And, you know, you succeed or you don't with those choices, but the roster's talented. There's no question. But to me, the center back pairing could have a long way to determine how this team does. And the fact that they don't have a like for like for Alex Morgan. It seems like, you know, you talk about some of the storylines for the U S team moving in. Some of the traditional big names have storylines going in too. Canada's players are an open conflict with their federation. They had the resignation of their president. France fired its coach. England has lots of injuries like the U.S. going in. The Netherlands said yep. in April one of their stars is going to miss it. The Jamaican team have concerns over their preparation. Yep. What should we look out for in terms of the other teams in this tournament? Yeah, and, and since Jason's bringing us down, give us some positives, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mr. Cloudy today. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I mean, it's a great field. Um, I think England or Germany, uh, I said the other day at a Fox event that I picked the U.S. to win, but it's not going to be easy. And and neither was 2019. People don't remember the, the two-to-one wins in all those knockout games. And if Alyssa Nero doesn't stop Houghton's penalty kick, uh, maybe England is playing in the final, not the United States. I mean, those were close games. That Spain game, they could have lost. Uh, any of those three games in the knockout stage, they could have lost. So it wasn't an easy Women's World Cup. I think the stats show that they never lost 7-0-0. As I remember, I don't think they ever trailed in a game. I mean, the numbers seemed like this was an easy run. It was not, and this won't be either. I think England is is very good. The team that won the Euros, if they were intact, um, they're every bit as talented as the U.S. Uh, their injuries, we'll see who steps up to replace those injured players. Germany finished second in the Euros. They were very strong. In fact, the, uh, the Germany women right now are looking way better than the German men are. They've had their struggles uh, as of late. France, as you mentioned, has a new coach, but plenty of talent. And I think those players will respond to this new coach who we, who we saw at the Men's World Cup. I think they'll respond because they were never a big fan of Diak, who was the previous coach. Didn't play their best, probably, for her, and several players wanted nothing to do with France, who have now since come back under Reynal. Um, I think Spain is good, and they would be better if all of their players were welcomed back, but that's still a problem. Um, I think Brazil 
under Pia Sunhaga could surprise some people. Sweden is always there. And then you've got the host nation, Australia. I think Sam Kerr is the, the best attacking player that will be at this Women's World Cup. She can carry this team on her back. Tony Gustafson is their head coach. He was underneath Jill Ellis at the last World Cup. Um, they've had some good results. They could go far with the home crowd and the home support. Um, I do like Canada. I think the only problem with Canada is what you mentioned. Um, at odds with the Federation, sometimes that helps. Sometimes they go in there with a, it's us against everybody mentality, and that helps. But, you know, Christine Sinclair is, is 40 years old. How big of a role will she have? Um, Sophie Schmidt, you know, mid-30s, how big of a role? They've got a great goalkeeper in Kaylin Sheridan, who's club team coach, San Diego, Casey Stoney, says that she's the best in the world. If you have the best goalkeeper in the world, um, you can win these games one nothing and do well. But Canada, for me, a little bit older and a lot of turmoil. And so, you know, if you deepen that pool, could they win it? Uh, they wouldn't be in my top. For me, it's USA. I'd be surprised myself. If the USA doesn't win it, it's going to be England or Germany. Just opinion. JP, in addition to talking about Women's World Cup, we want to talk to you about a recent, a couple of recent events and how they're going to play going forward. The first being what happened with the U.S. men's national team playing against Mexico. There has been a repeated, there have been repeated incidents with Mexico, with the fans and the players, the team itself, and the last game had to be stopped. At what point do you think FIFA is going to step in and do something drastic? My, my suggestion, which nobody's ever going to do, is to say to Mexico, if you can't get this under control, the host countries will be Canada and the U.S., and you can forget it. But wh exactly when is FIFA going to step in and say, you have got to stop this? Well, clearly what they've tried to do hasn't worked, right? right. Whether it's FIFA or, or actually, you know, it should be CONCACAP. It's a... It's a bigger CONCACAF problem for me than it is for FIFA because it's happening in our region. So Mexico has made a boatload of money, especially playing games in the United States where they always draw great crowds. I mean, look at the crowd they had the other day. You tell me what was the difference in the game that Mexico played the U.S. and the USA-Canada final. Did you notice anything different? It was amazing. The stadium was empty for the Canada game. I, I thought that yeah. they were doing the pregame while the game yeah. was going on because there was nobody no. in the seats. It was about 30,000 less seats occupied for the Canada game than Mexico. And this was the final, right? So, you know, it's clear that Mexico makes money. They make money in the United States and finding them 10,000, 20,000, $30,000 is nothing, right? So what can you do? What are your options? Uh, even though World Cups are expanding, you know, and they're always going to get in, take away all their home games. No more home games in World Cup qualifying. Play them all on the road. That's one drastic measure that you could do, right? Second thing that you could do is ban them from games in the United States. Again, they make a fortune. There have been times here where they've played, I don't know, six, seven, eight games in the summer series, sell out crowds. They're making a fortune. But also, probably U.S. soccer is making money on those games. Probably CONCACAF is too. But that's the only way that you can do it. And, and I want to stress something else to you guys. 
It's not a majority of the Mexican fans. It's not. It's a minority of the Mexican fans, whatever number that is. But let's say it's 300 out of 30,000. Those 300 make a lot of noise. But, you know, we're, we're painting the broad brush against all of them. And to me, that's not fair. But let me go back to the game itself. I was texting friends and they were texting me back and forth. And I said at one point, this is going to get nasty. This is going to get really bad. And there's going to be several more cards issued. By several, I didn't know what that number was. <laughs> I think after I texted, there were four reds after I texted and maybe three or four yellows because that referee was way in over his head, way in over his head, lost control of it. And all you have to do is know this. With a score three nothing, why would you add 12 minutes of stoppage time? That was, that was that when was, I started texting people. That is ridiculous. 12 you, minutes of stoppage time on a 3 nothing game. And I'll tell you something <laughs> else. It's a referee's decision, right? Let's say it was one nothing. And now they're on their second homophobic chant. Stop the game. Stop the game. And it was Send already it was it was already nine v nine at that point. It made no. I agree yeah. with you. It made no sense. It was stupid. It was add, stupid. So you, think about it this way: if there was an injury, right? Somebody gets hurt. Player, coach, fan, by something thrown from the stands, or just a, a crazy red carded tackle, like we saw, you know, towards the end of that game. That's on the referee. That's all on him. 12 minutes of stoppage time was foolish. Stop it on the first homophobic chant. Uh, thankfully, he stopped it on the second one. But um, I got to tell you, refereeing a USA versus Mexico game, not easy. One of the most difficult games to call. It is the most difficult game to call in North America. No question. I couldn't even tell you what comes in second in this region. So there's only two referees, not two. There's only two countries in CONCACAF where you could have a referee that could handle that game. The two countries are USA and Mexico, and they're not allowed to call that game for obvious reasons. So you have to find the best referee in where? Costa Rica, Trinidad, El Salvador, uh, Panama, right? Who's never called a game of that stature and hope he's up to the level not happening bring in somebody from another confederation to handle it because you can't have a usa or mexico referee in that game nobody's gonna accept that you, you but could, would they accept the referee from conmebol why not you could see that that ref was over his head from the game way that game started till right. the very end you know we we talk right. about how it went and at the end sort of the preemption to the game was the announcement of the leak that greg berhalter after an independent search and an investigation and we're going to do this we're going to do that we're going to talk to these people He's coming back. So yeah. uh, talk to us about uh, how you think the search went. There was some criticism that because it went so long, it put the U.S. at a disadvantage going back to the same guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on the coaching search and the decision to make a return to what they were doing? I never had any problems with Greg. I think had it not been for the Reina incident, my opinion, his contract would have been extended. I think he got us as far as I expected. We would have gone in the last World Cup. Remember, we were young. Uh, remember we played against the Netherlands. I keep hearing people say he was out coached. 
we were outplayed by better talent. Netherlands were on an unbeaten run at that time. Take the, take the Dutch roster, take the USA roster, and as much as I always like to think that the USA is going to win, I, I had the Netherlands winning that game. You know, So Berhalter took them far. I could see the love that his players had for him at the end of the game. You could feel that. And so I thought, you know, he's the guy for the next one. Uh, the Reina thing changed my thought. I didn't know if that could be overcome. Um, the hope is that it can be. They apparently uh, the still I... haven't talked, which con- they apparently yeah. still haven't talked, which kind of concerns right. me. Well, if they haven't talked, that tells me that this thing just did happen when it did. Because I think if if they had said to Greg in January, don't worry, you're coming back, or in February, don't worry, you're coming back, you know, maybe he does try to patch things up. So I, I think this happened when it did. I I do disagree, though, with people that say um, that we didn't waste a lot of time. I, I disagree. I, we lost, what, six months where, where he could have been in charge. So if you're telling me that you spent four months, five months, you know, on a search and you come back with Greg – my question is, you know, what took you so long to come back to Greg? So who knows, you know, what's factual, what they're telling us, what they're not telling us. I have no problem with Greg being the head coach. Um, I think the fact that they named him tells me that they believe he and Reyna can patch things up. And I think that they will. Gio Reyna is a superb talent. And for anybody that didn't think he was, you know, I hope they watched the nation's league because he's a difference maker. He's a starter. Uh, I also don't believe some of the stories that came out that Greg told him he wasn't going to play. That that doesn't sound right to me. You know, maybe he said not going to play much or you're not going to start or whatever, but why would you tell anybody entering a world cup that you're not going to play when you know that injuries, red cards, COVID, whatever it is, you might need this guy. So, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. You know, the truth is like somewhere in there. So I'm giving you a long answer, but uh, I was okay with Greg. I just think to end up where we did, I think we wasted a lot of time. All right. Well, before we let you start practicing a little shrimp on the Barbie, um, Messi is coming to this country in a month. I, I think it's, yeah, in a month. Do you see him as somebody who's going to change the direction in an upward direction? Or do you see this? Like, look, I'm, I'm the generation who saw, I remember seeing Pele play in, in the Meadowlands. We've heard this about several people. We heard it about Beckham. Is Met, I know Messi's going to make Inter Miami better. Is he really going to change the trajectory of the MLS? Well, that's a lot of pressure. And here's what I would say. When Pele came to America, and I remember it, you know, very well as a, as a much younger person, but uh, the North American Soccer League was nothing compared to MLS, nothing. You know, Pele really saved a lot of things, you know, when he came to this country. You know, Beckham helped to save the league, but more for his, you know, persona, who he was. Uh, off the field as much as on the field. You know, David Beckham was a terrific player. 
excellent player, but he's not Messi. He's not Pele, right? But MLS needed Beckham then. And when they write the history of Major League Soccer, there should be an entire chapter on David Beckham because after Beckham came, you know, teams started building more stadiums, more training facilities. They brought in, you know, the Thierry Henry's of the world and other big names that were not coming were not for David Beckham. Messi's in a different uh, category. MLS is already a success. They are. I mean, average attendance, new stadiums, new facilities, the way MLS is thought of in other parts of the world is amazingly different than when Beckham came here. When Beckham came here, they used to call it the Major League Soccer, the MLS, or they would say overseas, that league in America. Now people know it's MLS. You can watch their games in all these countries. Where Messi, I think, can move the needle, I mean, they're going to set records for, for scalped tickets, the price of tickets. That will be amazing. That will be an amazing influence. He'll sell out stadiums that have a hard time selling out, right? I haven't looked at the schedule, so I don't know where he's playing, when, where, who's going to shift their games to a bigger stadium maybe, Uh his home team is one of those teams that will probably shift games to a bigger stadium. Uh, so he's going to move the needle for attendance. What MLS is hoping for, and nobody knows, is does he move the Apple subscriptions? You know, does he make this destination? Are people going to buy the subscriptions because they want to watch him play for Inter Miami? And what happens when he leaves in two years or two and a half years? Do they stay? Apple, I think that's going to be the test because. The media exposure he gets is going to be incredible. Every game he plays in, I cannot imagine an MLS city where he doesn't sell out at high ticket prices. So that's going to happen, right? If the game's on Fox, yes, it will set uh, a ratings record. I don't know how Amazon, um, I don't know if they have uh, ratings or, or if it's just based on subscription. I, I've not seen anything, so I couldn't tell you that. But I think that's the number or that's the area that will determine how much of an impact Lionel Messi has. Yeah, a Apple hasn't really released much in terms of the audience their, or their subscription count, but that for them is the metric. And what happens in two years? They hope that people forget that their Apple TV auto renews for the next year when Messi does <laughs> decide to be here. JP, yeah. we, we can't wait to hear you on the call from New Zealand or Australia or wherever they, they have you doing the call. Always appreciate you making a little time for us, and I look forward to seeing as the tourney goes. Thank you, guys. Keep in touch. I always enjoy when we get to talk to JP. It's funny. I've been watching the, the Gold Cup games at night, and JP's on the call, and my son keeps laughing every time he hears his voice. He goes, that's the guy you talked to, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, I can't wait to hear him on the call over there, and I'm looking forward to the World Cup. Are you excited for what we're about to say? I always get excited for the World Cup. Even even when I wasn't as much of a soccer fan as I am now, there's something about World Cup soccer, just like there is something about the Olympics. There, there's something that brings people together in a time that we need to bring people together. And, and the women's World Cup soccer team, the United States team, has been so exceptional for so long and stood for so many good things while they did that. So I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but to me, in, in all the time that we've been doing this, it has been such an honor to talk to so many of the people on that team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they, they've been um, very good to talk to and, and very fun to follow. And they're not afraid to take on causes 
that don't involve a soccer ball. Uh, could I ask you a question? Sure. How do I say the guy who the Flyers drafted? You don't have to for a while. Matt V. Mitchkov? Did, did, did I just save you? Like, yeah. You're not going to. I mean, look, this could be a great move. My, I don't know about you. My initial reaction was, what are they doing? Mine. Okay, like, so mine was different than yours. I was mm -hmm. a... Hey, they're swinging for the fences. Like this is great. They're gonna right. they're gonna get something out of it. And then I texted you, and you were like, "What are they doing?" <laughs> so I want to. Yeah, well, because because this is a city that right now is starving for. Their Flyers fans are starving for something to root for, and you have a guy who has a three year contract in the worst place to have a contract, which is Russia right now, because. God knows whether or not he'll be able to get out of this contract early. And second, even if he can, whether or not his country will let him come here. Is that and, what you're And that's a very about? real possibility. Yeah, the huh? geopolitical implications of this all, whether he's actually yes. able to come here in three years. Given but, I did feel, but I did feel better that the fact that he was here. They like, met I, with I him in Voorhees. Well, that's it. I wasn't watching the NHL draft. So when I'm sitting there going, oh, you know, the Flyers aren't even going to be able to have a press conference. And then you told me he's here. He's at the draft. Yeah. And then I found out that he was at Voorhees. Yeah, too, they, so. they snuck him into Voorhees before everything to talk to him and his family. It's, there are obviously questions. That's the reason that somebody who's touted as the second best player in the draft falls to number seven. Oh, but, I disagree. He's the third best player. In the draft. Well, I understand, but he didn't play at Michigan. There's so he never Michigan. had a chance to be the second best player. <laughs> like uh, I, I, our listeners have to understand that he never had a chance in the Jeff Cohen ranking system of players because he didn't put on the maize and blue. I understand that. Um, okay. Any thoughts on uh, the Flyers using a bunch of picks to take goalies? Obviously, speculation on Carter Hart. No, no, no. Okay, let it, let me let me just stop anybody who's worried about that. Goalies take forever to develop. Exactly. Okay? So you, you take a guy on the Brandon Wheat Kings now, he, he's not going to be here for three, four years at best. He, Carter Hart has nothing to worry about. Taking a goalie to have some depth to develop does not mean that Carter Hart's future here is in any way in jeopardy. One has nothing to do with the other as far as I'm concerned. Kevin Hayes is no longer here. He was traded for a six-round pick. The Flyers are picking up half his salary. Freer uh, tried to make that a larger deal with Travis Sanheim. Tory Krug wouldn't waive his no-trade clause with the Blues, so that kind of fell through. So they, they tried to make bigger swings to turn over the roster, whether Sanheim ends up staying here. It does look like they want to keep Konechny here to build around for now with some of these young guys. But they're going to go with a young team. Briere's out there yesterday saying, look, we're not signing big free agents. We're going to let our young guys play hockey. I'm impressed with what they've done so far. The question is whether Tortorella is the right guy to, to lead a developing roster. We will see about that. Jeff, we've got about a minute and a half left. More gambling suspensions this week. Uh, many over the exact issue that you and I have spoken about, gambling. Yeah, in. no, but the big ones were the indefinite suspensions on betting on your own team. Yes. I think we can all agree that ain't a good thing. You know, it's funny. I thought we all agree, and I saw people saying You today, don't agree? I do, but I saw people saying today the argument, well, if I'm betting on my team to win, aren't I going to try harder to make them win? Like, there are no, people because, out there because, trying because, to rationalize okay. can that I, can, I, can I just make, quickly state that? I know we don't have a lot of time. Can I quickly state, if you bet uh, only on your team sometimes and not on others, 
then it should everybody should raise a red flag as to why you're not betting on the other ones and whether you're signaling to people that are in the betting community to do something or do something for you. Have we seen the end? Are we at the middle of no. people being suspended? We're at the, and we're at the beginning. We're at, we're the, at beginning. the very beginning of all this stuff. Has it surprised you how the players, whether real or perceived, are feigning lack of any knowledge and understanding of how gambling is or is not allowed in the league at this point? Really? If you've ever heard of Pete Rose and you play sports, then you know. End of story. If you want to feign this, good luck with that. It's not working for these guys. Uh, where does the NFL go next? Because there's going to be a lot of gambling ads. I give you that with 15, 20 seconds to say something. Where do they go? They're going to they're going to have to bit now. They're going to have to babysit the entire league. That's what's going to happen now. This is this is the can of worms that they've opened that they can't close. Can they? They 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 cause this mess, and now they're not going to be able to deal with it, other than to constantly have to deal with the dirtiness that it that it's going to come along with, having to suspend your players and constantly monitor them. All they're going to have their security team is going to have to be beefed up. Is basically what's happened. That's going to be the last word for this week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.